Hello, everyone. My name is Kimberly, and welcome to What's Your Trauma, a mental health podcast. I created the What's Your Trauma podcast to take conversations that we normally only reserve for the therapy office or telehealth and try to normalize them and integrate them to create a stronger sense of community and support. We all have traumas. We all have varying experiences that have affected us. And the more I believe we can be honest, open, and vulnerable while in a safe space, the more we can help heal both ourselves and others. I am so grateful for the many wonderful guests who are joining me on this podcast and sharing their stories in the hopes of helping others, breaking stigmas, or simply just telling their truth and having a heart-to-heart real conversation with another person. Today's podcast guest is Eliza Day. Eliza is a Pennsylvanian-born, LA-based actor, writer, and tarot reader. Her work illuminates and reimagines the stories we tell ourselves, empowering us all to become the deliberate creators of our personal and collective futures. But before we launch right into the interview, I want to mention some content warnings because this is a podcast about trauma. Content warnings for this episode include, but are not limited to, religious trauma, homophobia, purity culture, sexual assault, and eating disorders. I will always have resources linked in the show notes in case you or a loved one are dealing with these issues or you find the episode to be too much. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the What's Your Trauma podcast. Today, I have a wonderful guest and also a woman who gave me an amazing tarot reading a couple weeks ago, Eliza Day. Hi, Eliza. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Of course. Um, So I actually found you on my TikTok for you page. Um, You showed up (laughs) so many times and I booked a reading with you and it was an incredible reading and I... I'm so grateful to have you on my podcast. Uh, Could you introduce yourself for everyone who's listening? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Eliza. Um, I'm an actor, a writer, and a tarot reader. Um, I'm most active on TikTok, which is where most people (laughs) tend to find me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. Well, thank you so much. How is your day going? Good, good. It's awfully cloudy today in LA. All week it's been very cloudy. I feel like that's really getting me a little gloomy these days, but it's been good. Yeah, we're supposed to get even more rain, which I think I was excited about the first five times it happened. Um, But now it's starting to get a little worrisome. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Honestly, it's nice, though. I think the plants are really happy, which is great. Yeah, yeah. So... I would love to get started because I know you know a lot about me from our wonderful reading, and I just want to learn so much more about you and how you started your journey into spirituality, into tarot, how that relates to acting for you and everything else. Yeah, so I grew up already very spiritual, but really in a religious context. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up in like... Partly in the Methodist church, but also in like a non-denominational evangelical movement. Um, And I stayed in that until I was a teenager. Um, But then Mm -hmm. my oldest sister came out as a lesbian and that kind of rocked our relationship to religion. And then a couple Mm -hmm. years after that, my middle sister came out. And then a couple years after that, I came out. And then my parents were just like, oops, I don't know what went wrong here. (laughs) Um, So that kind of pulled us out of 
the religion in a lot of ways, but um, that was kind of the foundation of my spirituality. And when I was young, it was a really supportive environment. I definitely felt connected mm-hmm. to like something much bigger than me. And um, my life had a lot of like purpose and meaning through that lens. And mm-hmm. then as I got older, I also started getting a lot more um, heavy programming in terms of like purity culture. Um, mm. And which a lot of that is like not really even in alignment, I think, with what the religion is. It's kind of a later yes. institution um, of like patriarchal values and control of women and things like that. That as a kid, I obviously did not have the capacity to analyze that and to recognize the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but that started to really like impact my relationship to myself, to my body and to my sexuality. And then mm subsequently like all coming out as queer it became like oh not only is like I don't fit the boundaries of what my sexuality is supposed to be at all within this structure so I kind of got like pushed out of that mm-hmm. um and then I left all together for a long time I could just close the door on it and I never thought about it again um until I guess after I was coming out of college I started to open the door to like a more general sort of spirituality just an awareness of the consciousness of all things and Mm. um, a sense of like connection and greater purpose again. And that's when then I kind of opened the door to looking at what I had really been taught as a kid um, and sort of the long-term impact that that's had on me and, and the black and white thinking and how I'm allowed to relate to my body and my sexuality. And so right now I'm in a big chapter of kind of unpacking a lot of that and like what purity culture really is. Um, Mm -hmm. and where that shows up in different areas in my life, but also in different areas in our cultural landscape. Mm. Um, And I feel like once you start looking for it, you see it everywhere. Um, So it's been really, really interesting. But tarot has been a, tarot has been a very personal journey for me. And Mm -hmm. that, it's not even, like, it's just a tool. Um, yeah. but it's been a really helpful tool for me in the foundation of my spirituality, which is intuition and bringing everything mm-hmm. into like an intrinsic sense of guidance and an intrinsic, like our intrinsic values as opposed to extrinsic ones. Um, and that for me, I think was the most damaging part of Christianity was constantly being taught to evaluate myself by a set of external expectations and rules, um, mm-hmm. and to not trust my own internal sense of what is right and wrong or my own internal sense of desire. Um, and tarot has been kind of a, a pathway back to that for me of really learning to trust myself and my own insight and, and everything that comes from within. I absolutely love that. And I was the very first episode of this podcast, I was talking with my friend, um, Emma, and we were talking about deep feminine wisdom. Um, and I feel like tarot is such a wonderful example of that because it's a tool, as you said, to hone your own intuition and to hone your own self-reflection. Um, and yeah. I think very much as you are saying, like with the patriarchal structures that are within both Christianity, other, you know, organized religions mm-hmm. I found, and also, you know, especially within evangelical purity culture, um, it's the needed, um, antidote yeah no it really is and it's so interesting like I don't know if you ever hear things about like the uh the idea of the feminine line and what's encoded within us genetically and the fact that like Mm. 
the egg that you were existed in your grandmother's womb. Like that kind of deep embodied imprinting of genetic wisdom. And the, the fact that we don't like really recognize and honor that drives me crazy. And the more that like, I, I make it a point all the time now to ask people like, how does your intuition manifest? Or like, mm. how do your like psychic gifts manifest? When do you just know things? And I feel like every woman I ever ask that, she always has some like, she has a deep inner knowing. Mm-hmm. And she'll be like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I just know stuff or like, I always get psychic dreams or like this or that. And it's like, we all have it. It's a gift that I think, I think everyone has it, but I think women especially are really tapped into it. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Oh, wow. That made me think of two things. One is, I mean, I have like, I've spoken about like, I have, you know, some mother hurt, you know, mother wounds. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember the first, I was in a therapy session and like, I was like, oh, wait, my grandmother lost her brother, her younger brother during World War II. And then a couple days later, her mother, my great grandmother, literally died of a broken heart. Wow. So I'm like, I, so I'm like, I have stemming back through that, you know, maternal, like what it, what is uh, mitochondrial DNA even that is unbroken from woman to woman. I have all the way back from World War II, and I'm sure even before that, but like what I even know of, of like, you know, this heartbreak of, you know, losing a child and then the child losing the mother, um, which then influenced how my grandmother parented my mother and how my mother mothered me. And, you know, now I'm doing that work and just, it, yeah, that deep wisdom and a book I'm, I've started, but I need to finish is like, it didn't start with you um, about uh, trauma being passed down through genetics. And I feel like, Maybe partially because, I mean, I'm sure it's many things, which we'll get into like black and white thinking, I'm sure later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's many things. But like, well, like there might be something just inherent to femininity. And also uh, because of you know, power structures, women are subject to a lot of frequent traumas mm-hmm. that, you know, it, those are things that are just passed down. Um, but I, I found I've loved honing my intuition and, it seems both from my like firsthand experience with you during our um, reading and also just getting to know you more and more that you are someone who has really done some great work um, listening to your own self and honing that deep feminine wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. I don't, it seems to me like the only path forward Mm because the alternative is just doing what everyone else tells you to do. It's like following the rules of society and, I just, I'm not, I'm not even built for that. Like I couldn't <laughs> Same. Oh God. Same. How does your intuition so, manifest? Oh. Ooh. Well, I read tarot also, um, which is a great mm-hmm. tool for me, but then I think it's, a, it's, you know, it's always hard to get an accurate look at yourself. So like some, a lot of times when I read my tarot, I'm like, I know the answer. And like, you, thank you cards. I love you that you are just reinforcing this. I mean, like Kimberly, just trust yourself. Like, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when I feel like my um, most like high vibrational intuition, there are a lot of synchronicities, a mm-hmm. lot of like very uncanny things that happen. Just like, whoa. Um, but then just a deep knowing. I think sometimes I feel a bit like Cassandra in like the Greek myths you know, able to, able to see the future, but no one will listen. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Both for myself and others, like others won't listen to me, but also, I mean, I I know my bad patterns well enough at this point, but sometimes I won't exactly listen to myself being like, Hey, Kimberly, 
You sure you want to go down that path? <laughs> I can't so, hear. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsies. <laughs> I deeply trust this intuition, but now I don't because I just want to run full speed ahead. But yeah, how would you how would you say your intuition manifests? I feel like a lot of times more through like a, a felt sense. I mm. and I sometimes I'll use that language more of just like I sense this. Um, yeah, and it really is a path of trusting because it's like a lot of times you're like I don't have any reason to say what I'm saying. I just feel like it's true, um, mm-hmm. and really just learning to trust the way that I feel, but. Same thing. It gets cloudy when it comes to like when you're looking inward and really being like, okay, yes. well, I'm feeling, I'm aware that this is true, but I'm feeling this way. So I'm going <laughs> to entertain <laughs> my patterns a little bit longer. But I think there's value to that too. I always try to have patience with myself because I kind of think of like when we're playing out these shadow patterns, sometimes mm. we need to do it over and over from greater places of awareness so that we can like Mm. watch ourselves do it to the point that eventually we make a different choice. Um, Oh, I love that. Yeah. There's a poem that I love that I'm going to butcher it in my, my paraphrasing of it, but um, it's from an autobiography in five short chapters. And the, the concept of it is like walking down a street and there's a deep hole and you fall in it and it's not your fault. And it takes a really long time to get out. And then you're walking down a street. There's a deep hole. You fall in it. You knew it was there. It's your fault. It takes a long time to get out. And like, Mm -hmm. then the next time you don't fall in the hole. And then the next time you walk down a different street, it's like repeatedly Mm -hmm. going through the motions. And each time you get a little more agency in the process. So I try to think about it that way. When I like watch myself make the mistake, I'm like, well, I'm making it today, but tomorrow I'm going to do it with even more awareness than I did today. Yes. And even like, I was almost expecting you to say like, you fall in it, you know, a third time, but you get out of it quicker. I find that's something with me. I fall in the hole. I fall in my holes plenty, but um, it's like the recovery time is quicker. The the beating myself up time and the the festering in the mistake um, or making the mistake worse is I found with my own shadow work lately is the refractory period almost has gotten smaller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I feel that oh, way too. Like, go ahead, sorry. Oh. Um, I just, I would love to hear, like, when you first really noticed your own intuition. Um, I know as children, it's so much more free before we do get this programming, especially from, you know, uh, very patriarchal Christian um, structures. I would love to hear like your first memory of that and your own relationship to yourself and spirituality and then how that kind of changed. Oh my God. When I was a kid, I was a wide open channel. I like miss <laughs> it. I wish I could return to like that level of attunement. I guess I, I guess you can. It's just a process. But yeah. I think also when you're a kid, you don't have as much of like the analytical capability of your mind. So you're not... Mm you're just kind of wide open to the experience and flowing through it. Whereas even as an adult, you become very intuitive again, but you always still have that analytical side who's like labeling and discerning and all Mm. of that. But yeah, when I was a kid, I felt like 
just really emotionally in tune with things. I was super sensitive and like sometimes would like cry in some people's homes or like around certain people or there were people that I just like didn't like to be around um, Mm. because of whatever I was like picking up on, I think. Um, And I used to feel very in tune with like an energy that was bigger than mine. Like when I was little, I used to imagine like falling asleep in the hand of God, which is like kind of a cheesy image, but I really like felt that. That sounds Um, so relaxing. And sometimes I think it was, and it like, I felt like I could like feel space and like see space when I went to sleep. It was crazy. Um, But I guess as I got older, I mean, I guess your intuition is something that's always present, but it's like, when do you start becoming aware of it? Mm. And I think that for me, I started to become aware of it actually like right after college when I went through a really dark period, I was like hitting Mm. some of my lowest moments. And I simultaneously was like in emotional hell and like at my lowest points and like, I don't know how I'm going to continue living. Mm. And while I was in that, I also could still feel this like larger presence and this awareness mm. that this was something that I was going to get through and that I was going to look back on as my, lo- like I was aware that I was in my lowest moment. And mm. I was like, when I move on from this, I'm going to look back on this and know that this was the bottom. And I know it's going to get better from here. I know I'm going to move through this. And that sense of like an awareness of what the future was going to be, I think is what really allowed me to just like be where I was and be like, I'm, I'm going to get better from here. And so it Mm -hmm. really sharpened my determination in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think back on that moment now, and I feel like I am now the version of myself that was showing up to me then who was like, you're going to get through this. You're going to be okay. Here's a more positive perspective. Like you can pull through it. So it's like one of those weird loops within yourself. Um, And I think that's when I first started to become really aware of it. And that's also when I started to more intentionally use tarot. Mm. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Of course. So would you say that, because it's so interesting, I, I also had the darkest time in my life right after I graduated college. Um, really? Yes, truly. That was when I, I remember in our session, I was speaking about like that, like, you know, the death of my uncle and like that spiritual awakening and all that. And you're, I'm like, what year was this for you? I graduated in 2018. So it was like Same. 2018 into 2019. <laughs> Wait, really? Yes. And then the first guest I had on my podcast, Emma, who's also rather spiritual, she had the same rock bottom and she and I were in the same you know class I'm like what is what is it is I'm like are we all connected (laughs) I mean yes but like are we even more connected yeah I think that we have a tendency to like I mean whatever we call the awakening process whatever the hell that is yeah people awaken in like waves there are like collective waves so I think there was a 2018 wave (laughs) and then I also think in like 2020 that was a huge wave of people and then I see yeah. other people who it's every two years, it seems like there's another collective of people I saw in like 2022. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but it's cool. I know. And did you feel during the pandemic in 2020, I was like, ah, oh, this is nothing. I already went through hell. I'm like, 
Yes. I'm like, I'm just glad I can relax now and get these checks. I'm like, this is awful. I hope everything will be okay. But man, I've already gone through this. Yes. Yeah. And I watched other people around me go like go through the exact same process that I went through two years before. And I was like, honestly, I'm kind of glad I already did. I already did it. But then I did another one. Probably last. I hit the 2022 wave, whatever that was. That hit me too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, did I? It's all just been a blur. I got on Prozac in 2021, so it's all been a little more, uh, a little more steady since then. A little more then. stable. Yeah. Oh, that's like, so good. I'm like, thank you, pharmaceuticals. Um, so with your, <laughs> with your, um, what you referred to as rock bottom, would you say that was related to, if you want to talk about it, um, yeah, some of the, the external validation, the, you know, um, standards of purity, culture, of that type of black and white thinking? Was it stemming from something else? Was it somewhere in between? Okay, this is the What's Your Trauma podcast. Do you want to really go? Like, I'll go into yes. it if you want. Yes, it. as long okay. as you want to. What What is your trauma? So what happened for me at that point in time, it was like a perfect storm. Um, so my parents had had like a really intense divorce while I was in college mm-hmm. and my childhood home got sold. Um, which I did not cope well with at the time. And then I, but I was kind of able to coast because I had the structure of college. So it's like I had something to sort of hold on to and keep me going in a steady way. Mm-hmm. And then when I left that, I think life looked like a, an absolute void. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And like, I didn't really have the option to go home anymore because my like home had sold and like my parents were mm. split. And so it's like, I could go stay with people, but that grounded sense of like home was gone. And I was mm-hmm. like, I have no idea what to do with myself or like how to exist as a person with no structure. And I had just recently gotten in a, in a relationship. Um, that last semester of school was like a, that was high for me, actually. I had just started an mm. antidepressant. So I was like, wow, ease, joy. <laughs> um, and it also was my last semester of college. So I was like, you know, life is sunny, things are good. Um, and I'd gotten into a relationship with someone in towards the tail end of spring who was then like, I'm not, go- I'm not coming back to school. They were a little bit younger than me. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were like, I'm not going to go back to school. I'm like moving to Atlanta. And I was like, great, me too. I'm coming with you because I had no idea what to do with myself. And I was like, perfect. I will latch on to you. And I'm just going to come do that with you. And I'll make a whole life for myself in Atlanta. What's there? I've never been there. I'm going to find out. (laughs) Um, So I did. And then ended up finding out that fall that the reason my ex was not going back to school was actually because they had like multiple counts of sexual assault against them. Um, Yeah. So I was like done. And um, uh, like I and my roommates had gotten together and they were like, we want them kicked out of the house. And so I went through this like really kind of chaotic breakup right after I'd moved to this city with them. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't understand I was going through at the time, but looking back on it, I can see it is like, 
that relationship was also a big part of my sexual awakening. Mm. But then there's this element of like, this person was like a serial sexual assaulter. And so I had all of this confusion and all of this shame around that because Mm. I was like, am I bad? To what degree Mm. am I complicit in all of this? what parts of this were right and what parts of it were wrong and how am I supposed to feel about it? And what does everyone else think about me now that I was with this person? And like, what Mm. does that mean about me? And I was just like having an absolute meltdown. Um, And so I stayed in Atlanta for a little bit until my mom was like, you gotta get out of here. Um, And I eventually like, I moved back in with family for a little bit and was at my lowest point. Like I was in my like deepest depressive period. I also went cold Turkey off of my medication, which I would never Mm -hmm. recommend that anybody do. Um, Mm -hmm. because it, you drop to a pit then. Yeah. Um, Just neurochemically you drop all the way down and it takes a little bit to recover, which is why they tell you to taper off. Um, so I, I put myself a little bit in that pit. Um, But I also remember the day where I was like, I had gone so dark in my own consciousness that I scared myself. Mm. And I was like, oh, I I have to seriously work to get better from here. Or this is, I like can't exist. This is going to be unsustainable. Yes. And so it was a turning point for me where I was like, okay, I have to do whatever I need to do to start getting better. Um, And I did slowly over time. And I decided to go to massage school, which helped me a lot to just like, come back into my body, Mm. and feel ownership over my body again, and appreciation for it. And that was like, I think really what helped pull me into a Mm. different place. Um, And then the pandemic happened right after (laughs) massage school. (laughs) And so I got kind of a pause on needing to do anything. Um, And I, you know, I know, obviously, that was like a really scary and and traumatic time for a lot of people. But for me, it was kind of a gift of time. um, Me too. To come home to myself. Um, And I started writing at the time again, and reconnecting with like my creative side. Mm -hmm. And that I think is what started to really bring me to where I am now. And like, that's where my intuition, I was connecting more with my intuition, I was meditating all the time. (laughs) And it was really... um, I don't know, an enriching time for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. And my first thought when you said uh, going to massage school, um, not only bringing yourself home to your body, but almost as a way to heal the guilt by association that you had with your ex-partner by like engaging in like consensual, like loving healing touch with other people. I had never thought of it from that perspective before, but you're so right that it was like, because it also taught me like boundaries, you know what I yeah. mean? And like, a, like physical boundaries and how to be intimate in a way that has very clear boundaries after having been in a space where there were not clear boundaries at all. Thank you yeah. for that perspective. You're welcome. That was like the first thing I thought of. I was like, this feels very much like it's like <laughs> almost a way of like, not, not that you had anything to be guilty for. But like mm-hmm. working through your own, because you know our own internal feelings and judgments, they don't understand the logic or the right from wrong of like you know the actual reality of the situation, just how you feel. And I feel like I've I've similarly had like some you know deep like 
guilt by association experiences of my own. Um, so when you were saying that, I just like got a sense of God, what's the word? I'll have to edit this little part out as I'm searching for this word. Um, like an active form of forgiveness, both like for yourself and like um, active repair. That's the word, repair. Yeah. Yeah, it really did feel that way. And I even remember a couple of times where some of that, like just some of the energy of that relationship would come up for me sometimes when receiving mm-hmm. body work on the table. Mm. And what I love about somatic work and body work is that it mm-hmm. gives us an opportunity to clear some of that energy without needing to get like analytically or cognitively involved in it yes. at all. It's like, we don't need to label what these feelings are or where they come from or why we can just allow them to flow through and out of the body. Um, and I think that's a really important part. I think you need both, right? I think mm-hmm. we need to like understand the mental landscape and like really carefully cultivate uh, mm-hmm. our narratives and our belief systems around things. But I also think that we sometimes just need to be allowed to like feel without, yes. without labeling it. Yes. Yes. And I think it's, I'm thinking back to um, another podcast conversation I had with a friend, Emily. I'm having a lot of E names on this podcast. Um, I love that. My friend, Emily Emmy. Um, she was talking about grief and she's, she's rather Christian. She's like spiritual about it, but like she she is a Christian. And she's like, when her mother-in-law died, she's like, I felt nothing. She's like, I, all of the intellectual knowing did not help. And she needed the embodied rituals. Like she listened to Abraham Hicks. Um, and it's interesting because I think that so often, at least I'm from New York city where I grew up around a lot of atheists. Um, mm-hmm. And like you, so often there's like this sort of like the materialist, like atheist, you know, um, versus religious people. And the religious people are the so much more um, like regressed maybe, which like I always associate as like being like animalistic and like in the body. And then like, mm-hmm atheism is like oh intellectual i'm like no religion's gotten religion is very in your head very intellectual very black and white and like splitting of hairs and then spirituality is the embodiment yeah yeah that's the distinction i would make too that religion is like dogma but i also so as i've gotten like further into my spiritual journey sometimes i look back on religion around my background with religion and and Mm -hmm. sort of across the board at different religions. And the one thing that I think is really beautiful about it and that as a culture, we could serve to integrate more Mm -hmm. is ritual. And I think the way that ritual is used in some organized religion is a little weird or like a little dogmatic sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I think there's so much value to having like ritual practices that we use to process our feelings and to process transitions and to symbolically mark chapters. Um, So that's something I've been contemplating a lot and like how to start integrating more ritual into my day or like how to cultivate rituals that feel um, not like they're prescribed by someone else, but like they're very authentic to me. I love that. Um, I'm just going to let this Porsche right outside of my apartment drive on by. 
Okay, Betty. Um, what would you say was like the big turning point? Because I know you said you were brought up Methodist and then you began going to like a non-denominational evangelical uh, church. What would you say was like the big turning point in your initial relationship with religion and spirituality that maybe took you out of your body and created more black and white thinking? It's kind of hard to pinpoint like where, because it's like they were kind of overlaid on top of each other. I was simultaneously mm-hmm. getting this message of like, God made you special and perfect and you are unconditionally loved. And like all of the teachings of Jesus, which are like, unconditional love and our eternal divinity, which honestly are like ideas that I still really stand by. But then I was simultaneously getting a lot of this messaging of like, you are unworthy and in need of redemption. And like, Mm. that's the part that I think really is so deeply damaging about that, Mm. um, that ideology is this idea that you are broken or you are inherently sinful because you are a human being. Um, Mm -hmm. and that all of humanity needs the redemption of Jesus in order to be worthy of love. When it's like, even if we just take that from like a logical standpoint, if this is a perfect God who makes no mistakes, then how would one of his creations be so deeply flawed? That is a big reason why I stopped being Christian. I was I was really? very Catholic. Yeah, and that whole I was like the problem of evil and the problem of like a perfect God, like the the whole um the passion of the Christ, like the whole like you know Jesus died for your sins and like but like if Jesus is God and God is Jesus, like didn't God know already? Like this just seems like fake. Not and yeah. not even fake and like this didn't happen. But like fake and like why did this even need to happen? Yeah. Um and I'm just like, original sin? I'm like, what? And then, like, I remember, like, I had just gotten back from, like, another, lots of, unfortunately, like, lots of funerals in my family. I remember mm-hmm. I got back from a funeral. Like, one of my cousins was, like, an outspoken atheist. And I was like, so he's just going to, he's a great person. He's just going to go to hell? Like, how do you do this, God? And, like, how, I'm like, that and the problem of evil, I just was like, mm, does not compute. Yeah. And I remember being that way. Like I would go to adult Bible studies with my mom as a kid and I would sit in there and be like, okay, but if God loves me unconditionally, then why would he even create hell? Exactly. They were just like, ask God when you die. And I was like, that's not satisfactory to me. Like, (laughs) Or then, uh, yes. Or they spin it so much that you're like, this God character doesn't seem very nice. Yeah. And they're like, he loves you unconditionally. And it's like, but he will punish you for all of eternity. And it's like, then mm-hmm. he does he love me? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then did you find, um, like, going into, like, purity culture and sexuality, like, I know, like, at the beginning, because – I like was like, oh, I'll stay a virgin until I'm married. And then like, I, I lost my virginity later in life for someone from New York city. Not like, you know, super late in general, but I lost it in college. Not, not like there's anything to lose. Um, but <laughs> I was one of, the, one of the last people of my friends to, you know, to have sex. And I remember just like, as I was exploring my own sexuality, both like my queerness and just like being a sexual, like adult, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, this is bad. Cause like I could, I could, I could deny these urges. 
I could press it down. Like it is something I can do, but I don't want to do it. Oh, does that make me bad? Like, am I denying God? Like, did you have experiences like that as well? Like, what was that journey like for you? Well, I just got really good at denying everything. And Mm -hmm. for me, it showed up in my relationship with food too. Like Mm -hmm. I had like anorexic tendencies. And then when I came out of that, they became more like orthorexic tendencies. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think psychologically to me, self-denial was like the pinnacle of purity of, Mm. um, so it's like an aesthetic sort of thing of like, yes, I will have no bodily human needs. I will be only holy. I will breathe air and nothing else. And like, Mm -hmm. that's what I thought it meant to be, um, to be spiritual. And to be Mm. holy. And that even showed up for me like later after I left religion and I had my time away and then I came back to spirituality. Um, There are still a lot of teachings in more like secular new age spirituality around Mm. purity, either Mm. like living non-toxically or um, living high vibrationally or things that are like, you know, drinking celery juice every day and not eating meat and all of these things that it's like, make yourself as clean as possible. That is such a thing. And I like watched myself kind of do that dance for a little bit too. Until eventually I was like, how spiritual is it if I'm constantly at war with myself? And if every desire or urge I have, I'm shaming myself and punishing myself for how spiritual am I really? And isn't like, wouldn't the peak of spirituality be the deepest possible embodiment of my physical vessel and Mm. the love for the like animal creature that I am. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to practice that now, but I still definitely have a lot of holdouts of restrictive tendencies um, Mm -hmm. within myself that I have to like actively counteract and sort of, Try to not trigger the inner like punisher or that shameful aspect of me that's like, be good, be good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, no wonder you gave me such an amazing tarot reading because you understood what I was going through. (laughs) Um, Oh man, yeah, that reminds me of um. It's kind of, I think it's kind of like a reason why like I've gravitated towards Buddhism lately because like there's some middle path and like one of the I don't think it was a Buddhist koan but it was like a Buddhist saying it's like you know a young student enters the monastery and he's like you know, teacher, how long will it take me to achieve enlightenment? And the teacher's like, 25 years. And then the student goes, how long will it teach me to achieve enlightenment if I try really, really hard? And the teacher goes, 35 years. (laughs) So I'm just like, ah, so I'm just creating more work for myself. Let me just vibe. Yeah. It just relaxed into the flow of life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, do you want to talk about what? Well, what do you What do you want to talk about next? I don't know. What are you interested in? <laughs> what would you say, like your your current shadow work that you're doing is, and what your relationship with shadow work has been over the last few years? I think that for a while I didn't actually understand what shadow work was, mm-hmm. um, and I definitely was like. I love the light work side of things. I love mm-hmm. like, it's 
expand my consciousness, achieve my dreams, like all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what I thought shadow work was, but I was like, yeah, I already did that. I did some of that. We're good. <laughs> um, and more recently, I would say probably in the last year, um, my shadow has caught up to me more than anything. Mm-hmm. And it's been like unavoidable having to deal with it because I did about as much as I could in conscious work. Um, and I would say that like, I have a pretty strong sense of what my conscious values are and of what my intentions are. But within my subconscious, I still carried a lot of my old programming. And so it created patterns for me of like one step forward, five steps back. I Mm. would do one thing and then I would sabotage it because I, on a subconscious level, did not believe I'm deserving of that or I'm allowed to have that. Um, or I just was like, you know, you're a fundamentally terrible person. So anything you want, I'm going to rip away from you. And I would constantly mm-hmm. like, why is everything falling apart the second I like get my hands on it? And it's because mm-hmm. I have a really powerful shadow that's like, mm-hmm. wants to punish me. Um, so that's become really apparent for me over the last year. And it showed up everywhere. It's shown up in my relationships. It's shown up in my business. It showed up in like, um, just my living situations over and over, I was like forcing myself into instability um, mm. because something in me didn't believe that I deserved to be safe or to feel safe. Um, mm. And I would say that I'm coming out of a lot of that now. Um, I have a lot more awareness of and control of that aspect of myself now. I think the thing that comes out currently is, um, well, it still shows up. It just has less power. Um, the shaming aspect and the part that's like, no, do better. Um, and control tendencies, I think, come out right now. That sense of like, I don't know. I think what I'm trying to practice is recognizing that that aspect of me that is like, a shadow, a shadow aspect that is a, an internal abuser of me mm. is doing that because it's trying to protect me. And it's thinking, if I shame you and blame you and punish you into being good, then you're going to have your needs met. Then you're going to be loved. Then you're going to be. Yes. yes. And recognizing that as unkind as those tendencies are within myself, they are actually in a very twisted way coming from a place of love and of self-protection. It's helping Mm -hmm. me to have more compassion with that side of myself and to like grab onto it with love instead of continually warring against it, which I think is what I was doing before. I was just like recognizing that I was hurting myself and then I would look at that and be like, oh, this is more evidence of how I'm bad because look at how bad I am to myself. (laughs) <laughs> I feel that very much for myself not for you totally, totally but yeah it's like oh my god I can't, even when I try to be good I can't like I'm just why do I I just keep on fucking myself over yeah. why it's like I'm never gonna it's like I it's almost like I like this yes yeah have you ever read the book existential kink 
by Carolyn Elliott. I think. It's literally just what I was thinking about when I was saying I like. Yeah. I started reading. I was, I'm really bad. I start reading a lot of books and I don't finish it. And she got her her Instagram got a little a little culty. Oh really? I never followed. Her yeah. Cool. Yeah. She got she got a little a little culty, but uh, I do like the premise of existential kink a yeah. lot, which is like everything we do, we're doing because we enjoy it in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit more about like existential kink, like what you gathered from it, like what you're putting into practice in your own life? Her concept in that is like the whole point about is recognition of the shadow and that anything that's showing up in your life is showing up in your life because it's your creation to some degree, including Mm -hmm. the drama cycles that we're in. Um, So anytime you feel like, that victim side of you coming up that's like, woe is me? Why does this always happen to me? Mm -hmm. To look at it more deeply and say, okay, what about this situation is benefiting me? And why might I like it? And there is like, and the concept of kink with that is like that, the idea that sometimes we desire pain, we desire discomfort, we desire these things that consciously we might reject and say, I don't want that. I don't know. I don't want to know what it feels like to be completely unloved. I don't want to know what it feels like to have no money, but something in us does want to know what that feels like. Yeah. Um, And I think also part of what I've been recognizing with that is sometimes you want experiences of contrast. Yes. And you need them because if you want to understand what it feels like to be deeply unconditionally loved, you also kind of need to know what it feels like to not be unconditionally mm-hmm. loved because without the contrast, you don't know what anything is. It's only by knowing what it's not that you know what it is. Um, so I've tried to embrace that too, of recognizing the places where I feel lack or where I feel struggle or whatever that is in more deeply embracing the struggle is the key to me finding the ease. Hmm. Oh, I'm like, this is making me want to want to whip out my coffee. I mean, I have, I have therapy right after this, which is going to be fun. And then, uh, and then, I mean, I have a lot of work I need to do. But then afterwards, I'm going to cuddle in maybe with a copy of Existential Kink and be like, all right, Kimberly, yeah. why are Kimberly, why are you constantly making enemies at work? Like every single place, Kimberly, why are you constantly? And I'm like, oh well, that reminds me of elementary school. I'm like, Kimberly, like. Why? Every time. Every time. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's funny. Every time, like, once something shows up more than twice, once it's like three times, what's that saying? It's like once is an incident, twice is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. And as soon as we're up to three, I'm always like, oh, this is on me. I'm doing this one. (laughs) I've never heard that saying, but it's like, Fool me one time, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't put the blame on you. Fool me three times, fuck the pizza and load the chop the letter. <laughs> I've never That's heard that in my life. My but I love it. It's from a rap song. <laughs> it's like No Role Models by J. Cole, I think. That's so funny. <laughs> but yeah it's it's like my but then but then again, it's like it's funny. It is funny, and it's like, you know. But at least for me, I'm like, my God, Kimberly, you can't get it right. Like, why do you constantly fuck up? And then there's that shame spiral again. And it's, 
guess what I'm learning is I got a lot more shadow work to do. Um, yeah. It's so hard. Well, it never goes away. And that's the thing that I think has allowed me to calm down in it a little bit is I thought like, I definitely had this idea in my mind that you could do all the work and get to the other side of it. And then life would be smooth sailing. And more and more, I'm like, no, it's a constant like flow. And you'll always have like, there will always be shadow work to do because we have a conscious Mm -hmm. and an unconscious self. And you'll always have to like do the conscious work, then dip into the subconscious, then do the Mm. conscious and dip into the subconscious. Mm. And so kind of relaxing into it and recognizing that like, I don't have to go digging for my like broken pieces or whatever anymore, but just Mm -hmm. allowing myself to continue moving through my life and trusting that as I try to take steps forward, the things that are out of alignment with that or the parts of me that need more love or more healing in order to continue my forward momentum are going to rise to the surface on their own. And once they come into my consciousness, I can address them and then I can keep moving forward. I definitely thought for a while that I could like go all the way in, fix myself, be healed and then be perfect. Oh yeah. And again, that's a, it's a scary thought, but it's thing about control. Totally. It's like, you know, if I can control my imperfections and I can, you know, kind of isolate myself away, you know, there's a part of me when I was in my deep dark stuff, I was like, should I just like be in like a locked cave? for like 60 days i'm like that'll heal everything yeah like i, I read like this guy like was in a cave with like no light like you know nothing just like you know, got like two meals a day no sense of time i'm like oh if i did that so as difficult as it is i'd be perfect once i got out if i could complete it <laughs> um i'd be perfect but it's it's scary because it's a lack of control it's just unpredictable and then i think simultaneously the more you ease into it and like actually do the work it's not like you become healed or you become perfect, you still have those ups and downs. It's almost like, it's kind of like in math or calculus. I don't know, it's been a while since I took a math class, where like you'd have like the, like the cosine wave or whatever, but then there's also another wave that is like, as you are progressing, that like your base stability is getting more stable. So like you have the up and down waves, but then this one maybe is, you know, going from like big peaks and valleys to like smaller ones as you ride the big waves. Yeah, I love that image so much. You're so right. So I think my therapist recently called that distress tolerance, which I think Ooh. she meant like for the negative, but yeah. I think about it across the board of like our ability to contain polarized energy, whether that's like high highs or low lows, but our, our ease, our ability to re- maintain that sense of baseline amidst those fluctuating energies. Yeah. And then talking about like a, a spiritual intuitive, um, you know, not black and white thing. Then a third things, a third thing comes out of it, which is, you know, the greater, I almost want to say peace and joy, but it's not quite that. It just is like, it's just more of an expansion. And that's the third thing that comes out that grows through the ups and downs is, I don't know, maybe it just is. No yeah. label. The isness. And acceptance, exactly. I think. Of yeah. an acceptance of what is. Yeah. And that acceptance creates a more lasting joy or happiness. It's like stable, more stable. Totally. Um, yeah. Speaking of like subconscious work, as we like 
kind of round the corner on this conversation. Do you want to talk about um, your work with psychedelics and how that's helped yeah. your subconscious work? Yeah, psychedelics have been a huge, huge healing tool for me. Um, because what, well, semi-scientifically, what a psychedelic does is floods your brain with serotonin, which is the daytime chemical. It's the awake chemical. So it is quite literally like awakening. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of lights up all of the neural networks in your brain in to a degree that you don't have um, like past childhood. So it gives you the level of neuroplasticity mm. that you have as a kid temporarily. So it's a really great opportunity to understand what are my like most well-worn neural networks. Like what is mm. the part of my brain that I'm using all the time? And it gives mm-hmm. you an opportunity to like generate some new pathways from a place of openness and receptivity. Um, so you can kind of lay some initial groundwork for new thought patterns while you're on a psychedelic. Um, and so they were really, really helpful for me in just kind of expanding my consciousness and my awareness in general and understanding where the limitations were in the way that I was thinking, um, and give me an opportunity to kind of think in new and and expanded ways that then you kind of have to practice after the psychedelic experience repeatedly, um, And that's why people always say like the integration process is really important, making sure that whatever you realize or understand that you then integrate into daily practice. So it does not just become like, oh, one time I had this thought and then I go back to the way I was before. Um, But yeah, I used some, actually it was like during the pandemic for probably like a year. um, I was using them semi-regularly until, and they kind of, I kind of hit my end with it. They gave me about as much as they could. And then I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. at this point, I'm just messing around with them. Um, Yeah. But I like knew what my work was. And then I had to start putting it into practice. Mm. I love that. Damn, I get closer and closer to trying psychedelic every day. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're really helpful. I would just say that it's important to like use them really intentionally and mindfully people have a lot of fear around them, but in my experience, like nothing comes out of them that isn't already in your own brain. It's like, you're Mm. not necessarily going to be shocked by anything that you discover. You're going to be like, Oh, that's what some of these things were. Um, Mm. But the reason I think it's important to be really careful with them is that um, if you kind of do them in the wrong setting or, or with the wrong, not the wrong, but, if you use them recklessly, because you have that level of neuroplasticity and openness, you if you have a negative experience during that time, you can also imprint a negative experience really deeply into your consciousness. So yeah. it's just important to make sure it's in like a safe space uh, with the with positive intention and and a lot of safety yeah. around it. Yes, I I definitely if I ever have to do it, I definitely want like a medicine person guide or someone someone okay. there who to guide me through. Oh, I love this. No, I didn't ask you this, but I am curious if you'd like to do it because I know you do like collective readings like on your TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's any type of collective reading or energy that you want to share with the listeners sure. as we wrap up. Oh my gosh, what a fun concept. Let me pull some cards. <laughs> I 
it's also the equinox today, isn't it? Or it's the new moon yes. equinox tomorrow. It's something, something. <laughs> oh, what a potent time to be doing this together. Um, yeah, that's what the yeah today's the equinox. Oh, is around um. Actually, creating containers of safety, which is interesting. Calling in, um, calling in, or continuing to cultivate connections where there is like openness and receptivity and a sense of safety and support, um, and really investing in those spaces together. This is a message that honestly I'm like preaching a lot, which is around like community creation. Um, but I really do think that that's the key to healing a lot of this together is it's like so many of us take on the burden of healing our traumas alone, but so many of our mm -hmm. traumas are actually, they're communal trauma. Um, mm. And so the antidote to it is us building spaces where we can support and love and trust one another. Um, so really calling that in and cultivating it where you already have it um, and working together to kind of dream a new world into being, to dream a community that we want to be a part of, a loving human family um, that we have the power to create together. Um, the second part of this message is just, I think, information that this was kind of an activating conversation in terms of the shadow work stuff. So to drink some water, do some reflection of anything that came up around that, maybe sit in the sun specifically and kind of meditate on some of those concepts. Um, that book is actually really helpful if any of the listeners choose to get that. Um, and then there's one last piece to this. Just give me a second. And the last piece is just, it's a continued work on the feminine line and like embodying the divine feminine really through the processing of emotion that all of us are working on and sort of like melting some of those stored traumas and bringing those into integration, but also really through strength training um, on, I guess, all levels, physical and emotional and spiritual, learning to really stand strong in our power and in our foundation and not to allow ourselves to be pushed out of our own internal alignment anymore, whether that be mm. by ideology or whether that be by individuals or by the structures that we exist in to really own what we know and what we stand for and to stand strong in that because together we will make those changes on a structural level, but it necessitates each of us really being able to stand in our power, reach over, mm. hold hands, and do it together. Um, damn, this is like the most exciting time to be alive, in my opinion. I think we are on like the cusp of an artistic and an ideological and a systemic revolution. And I'm like really honored to be part of that. Me too. It's it's daunting, but it's it's an exciting undertaking. Yeah. Damn, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for just your generosity of spirit, your wisdom, your vulnerability. Um, 
I can already tell I would love to have you on again for another conversation. Yeah, anytime. Oh my God. And then um, if the listeners would like to find you either, you know, to book a tarot reading, to see your TikToks, where can we find you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm on TikTok um, at Eliza Daylight. I'm also on Instagram under the same name. And um, my links are in my like link trees on those. Or you can visit my website, elizaday.love. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Thank you so much, Eliza. Thank you to everyone listening. I hope that this resonated. And I will see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, my dear. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the What's Your Trauma podcast. If you like the episode, please be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you are listening. And check us out on whatsyourtrauma.pod on Instagram. Until next time.